don't know me, um, right now my wife is uh, pregnant and she is about to give birth any day. And I feel like I've been saying that for the past three weeks. So my bad for giving you false alarm, but uh, it, it was been uh, like, that's what the doctor said. It could be any time, any time. So, and any time could be today. She, uh, oh, by the way, thank you so much for the wonderful baby shower last Sunday. We thought, okay, if that's over, any time. But still, baby likes to be in mom's womb right now still. And I won't blame him, right? Uh, It's going to be a little boy. And, uh, you know, my wife had a funny dream this week. She said her water broke at the benediction of this service. So we'll see how it goes around uh, 12-something, all right? So uh, I'm just going to keep my eye on my phone, if that's okay, for the very first time. I never do that, but just in case today, I'll have that ready, and then I'll pass over my notes to uh, Gary Galton, and he could continue the message today. So, all right, but um, you know you know who the greatest um, boxer of all time, the goat of boxing, you probably say Muhammad Ali, right? And, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali in his heyday, uh, he was on this plane. He was the champion of boxing. He was just like he dominating at the time. And he was taking a seat on his plane, a 747 jumbo jet, and he, he was, they were about to take off. And the, and the flight attendant came by and says, sir, you know, he, you know, you have to put your seatbelt on, sir, because he didn't, you know, he didn't do anything like that. So, so ask kindly, please fasten your seatbelt. And then Muhammad Ali looked up proudly and says, well, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant, without any hesitation, looked him right in the eye and says, well, Superman don't need no plane. So uh, uh, you get yourself a seatbelt. Um, so obviously Ali, probably the go, the greatest of all time in boxing, but we often, and probably himself too, but we too often misunderstand what true greatness is all about. In today's passage, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, and we've been opening up Luke from the very first chapter, and today we land on chapter 9, verse 37, and we are going to look at where Jesus teaches his disciple what true greatness is all about. And because it is so easy for all of us to misunderstand what greatness is all about. And just like that day and the disciples, they did not quite understand what Jesus was talking about. And and if they're, you know, right now, NBA's playoff. I love basketball. I'm watching the highlights every night. I can't watch the whole game, but sometimes I watch the highlight. Right, so if there's a highlight, there should be a low light, right? And and if there's a ministry low light for these disciples, that may have been this day where they completely misunderstood what Jesus said, and they might look over and the, the, reflect that and says, "Wow, boy, I was so ignorant. I didn't understand." And they're probably embarrassed, but I'm sure they did after. Whereas the disciples, especially John and Peter, reflected on this day that we're going to look at and says, "Man." Boy, I was so wrong. Now, if we're not careful, we're going to run into the same problem today. We're going to misunderstand what Jesus says, and we're going to misunderstand what true greatness is all about. So what was the problem that led them to think some some off mind or off um, just on their own? They thought misunderstood the greatness, and it was pride, pride. And that's a it's it's an enemy that we have that, that we must fight against. And how do we fight against that? It's with humility. And humility is one of our core values. If you look at the, the bulletin, it's right there. It's a, one of our core values. We must adopt that because that is what Jesus is teaching us today from this passage. And as we look into that, we will discover what true greatness is all about. So uh, if you could open up your Bibles to chapter uh, 9 of Luke. So we're in chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 37 and on. We're not going to read everything, but I'm going to be referring to some uh, different phrases and words but if you have your bibles or your app please open to luke chapter 9 verse 37 so I'll give you a context of this is last week we covered how jesus uh went into this mountain and had this transfiguration experience and there's only three disciples that was kind of the selected inner circle of jesus 12 disciple peter james and john and they went with jesus and in this mountain they saw jesus kind of start glowing an incredible sight where jesus started talking to moses and and elijah and they're like wow this is great 
So this is the morning after this whole experience. They came back from this amazing mountaintop experience, maybe on a spiritual high almost, like, wow, that was great. And they came back down, and then the crowds began to greet Jesus once again. They surrounded Jesus, but among this crowd, there's this father who was incredibly distressed, incredibly agitated, and says, Jesus, I need you, to your help. I need you to help my son who is possessed by a demon, is possessed by the spirit, and he's like bubbling up, and he's like just, just going crazy. We, we are desperate, and the disciples of yours, which means three is with Jesus now. The nine of them is there because there's 12 disciples total, so three minus... 12 minus 3, the nine disciples, math okay? No, that's, I got this, all right? So anyways, <clears throat> she's a math professor. So anyways, but, uh, <laughs> so the nine just could not heal this kid. They couldn't help anything. They, they, they were just hopeless. Now, we got to pause for you for a second. There will be a time in our lives that we will encounter the impossible. We will encounter a situation where we, we pray and pray, but it just, it just we we're hit by this reality that it's not changing. We might encounter experience where we feel like nothing is looking up, or maybe something unexpected come in our lives, maybe a disaster, a tragedy that we can't help. But in those situations, where do you, where do we look for our help? But, but, but more importantly, with what kind of attitude do we seek help? Because obviously the help comes from God. But in our desperate moments, in our agitated moments, can we still have humility? Or will we say, God, if you're not going to answer this, then that means you're not there. Do we have that type of prideful attitude when we're seeking for help? Because, because yes, we know where the help comes from, but it is with what attitude, what heart do we receive that help? Now, let's go back to this story. In this story, that mountaintop experience, coming back to encounter people with struggling with their faith. Doesn't it remind you of something? It reminds us back to the story in Exodus where Moses went into the mountain. They came down and the people were unfaithful to God. Moses had this incredible encounter with God, but only to come down and see the people who fallen away for just a few minutes or for a few days. They were gone from Moses and God's presence, and then they're already worshiping idols. And this this story kind of reminds us of that. From the mountaintop to the reality, people depending on their own understanding and their strength. But Jesus says, man, how much do I have to put up with this? This is just too sad. This is too, too much. I, 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 you know I'm not going to be with you forever. So Jesus is kind of like, oh, man, with kind of a father, fatherly attitude against these children who are still kind of lost. But in the meantime, Jesus brings this boy who was um, going through just tough, rough time. He was just hurting himself and, and just rolling around, and he heals this boy. And then everybody there was just amazed. Wow, that's Jesus. Man, he's amazing. But they were amazed, but they misunderstood Jesus' greatness. And we have to ask ourselves, are we okay? Are we misunderstanding his greatness, what, his, what he's trying to teach us about what greatness is all about. Are we, are we amazed because Jesus could, could do amazing things, or are we amazed that Jesus knows our heart? Verse 44 of chapter 9, Luke 9. Let me read this. It says, listen carefully. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. Listen carefully to what I, have about, I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 45 says, but they did not understand what that meant. They, meaning the disciples and the crowd, they didn't understand. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So while the, while the people were still in awe of Jesus, Jesus then, he, he predicted his own death again. See, this is where the greatness and knowledge, greatness is mis- being misunderstood because they thought that this great Jesus will not die because they were expecting something str- uh, powerful, warrior, a strong political leader. But Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. And they're like, they didn't even register that. It couldn't even comprehend that because why would a great man like him, the greatest man of all time like him, would be on the cross where the, the worst of the sinners die? I mean, that just did not their cross their mind. They misunderstood their greatness of Jesus. 
but to teach the people, especially the disciples, what true greatness is all about. And it requires an incredible cost to this greatness that only he himself could pay. Jesus is trying to teach the cost of the greatness that he is about to perform on the cross. But yet, the disciples at that particular point did not understand what that death on the cross meant. What, what, what humility it took for Jesus to be on the cross. It was only after the resurrection of Jesus that they finally understood. They're like, oh, I, I now finally get it. That was only when Jesus came out of the tomb and they encountered them the, and witnessed and experienced the power of the resurrection. They understood what this cross meant, what greatness is all about. Because they're hoping for this political leader in Jesus. And because of that, you know, if Jesus was the political leader and they're going to rule over the Romans, Jesus is the head of, of Israel, the newly found Israel. And they were hoping for that. So if Jesus is the top, then who is number two? They're like, okay, so which one among us is going to be his number two, the right-hand man? And that's what, because they did not understand. That's what they were so worried about. They argued who's going to be number two or who is the best, the, the top number one among us. See, these are the disciples, 12 of them, all prayerfully chosen by Jesus. Remember back in chapter 5 or 6? Sorry, uh, anybody? Anyway, you know, he prayed overnight, and then they found these 12 disciples. And then Jesus took them along with them and says, you know, come with me. I'll show you what it means to to proclaim the gospel, the the word, the, the kingdom of God, what that is all about. So Jesus took care of the disciples. They watched them carefully. And then they were empowered. They were given the authority of Jesus to heal people and to proclaim the kingdom. And then through their hands, the, the bread multiplied. And they experienced all that as they were sent out to do amazing work for God. But then, dispute took place. The three people among them, the chosen, the, the inner circle, James, Matt, uh, James, John, and Peter, and then that led to them sense of superiority. And then the other nine couldn't heal them. So they're like, oh, you guys couldn't heal because I wasn't there. You know, that kind of dispute kind of started to arise. And then they were talking among them, who is the best among them? Because somewhere along the line, they realized they were doing something special. Yes, of course, right? But somewhere along the line, that understanding became to be, well, we must be special. I must be doing something special. Well, I am special. And if that is the concern, if that is our number one concern, then of course we're going to go. The next thought of line, line of thought is, who's the best among us? Or is it you? No, no, that can't be you. I'm better. And that type of understanding, and it was all invading their mind. But verse 47 says, Jesus, knowing their thought, took, thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. There's so many nuggets of wisdom packed in that verse. It's incredible. First of all, we have to understand this context of the Hebrew culture. These Israelites, these Jewish people did not value the lives of children because they, were, they, were, they, they weren't even counted among the people, right? And then they did just this voiceless, powerless being until they're an adult or they see them as an adult, they didn't give them any value. In fact, adults of that time thought spending time with this kid was a worthless time. I mean, that's how incredibly low these kids or these children were at that time. But then Jesus said, love them and bringing this kid to their, his side. See, the kid, the, the child in, in Jesus next to him did not think that he was great at all. In fact, he could not think of himself as great because nobody told him he was great. And nobody told him he had any worth. So the kid, of course, did not know that. And Jesus exactly is teaching us to be like that. That, that, that don't think you're anything special. That, that, that we, and loving these children, loving these children means loving me as well. Because he is telling us to serve those who did not have any privilege. What is that in our case? There are many people in our lives, in this world, marginalized people. They have no voice in society. They don't, nobody gives them value. But Jesus is teaching them, serve them, to go even under them, to serve and go below that. 
I mean, this is powerful message. It's a groundbreaking teaching that Jesus is teaching us in, in this very few verse, verses. And then Jesus says, as you serve them, finally, don't stumble them and continue to love them because as you love them, it's like loving me as well. See, why is Jesus saying that? See, this was Jesus' example himself. He says that I am going to be nothing like this child. I'm going to be obedient to the lowest of low. I'm going to die on the cross. So loving them, meaning that it is the same thing as loving me, who becoming nothing. See, all this packed into this. And at this moment, I just need to take a break and pause and says, because it is Memorial Day, we have to look at the, our, our people who gave their lives for the freedom of this country, freedom of our lives, and gave up their lives. I mean, that's ultimate humility, just then, because that resembled Jesus' life as he gave himself under this, and he humbled himself to death. And there are people who did that for our country. So I just want to take a moment and say, thank you, God, for these amazing men and women who gave their lives for our country. Because that's the ultimate humility as we find in Christ Jesus himself. And all the means, in the meantime, the disciple of Jesus, who is called the beloved, John came. And he came to Jesus and says, hey, you know, those people over there, that group right there, they're healing people in the name of Jesus. So I stopped them because they're not one of us. <laughs> you know, this is also have to do with pride as well. Right? Because John, he wanted to say, oh, look what I did. But what is happening is that was also due to pride. Because he, and he himself especially, but he thought they, the disciples, were special because they were the chosen one of Jesus. You see, he had all the reason to be prideful in that way. Because yes, he was the part of the inner circle, the three. And then he was also called the beloved. But isn't it true that we tend to criticize those who we are, don't understand? who we are not the same, who we, who's different from us, it is easy for us to criticize. See, it happens all the time here in this world. In the world, the, the, the countries against country, they don't see eye to eye because they don't understand. And that leads to misunderstanding and judgment. It happens all the time in political world. And this view or our view is better than yours. And that idea is heavily, we're heavily tainted as human beings because we criticize those who we don't understand and who we misunderstand, and that leads to judgment. And that also sometimes can lead to violence. And it's just this, this cycle that we must break. How do we do that? Through humility, right? What about us? How about you with those who are different from you? Those outside of the church, but also within the church. Because no one is the same. And when we, don't, we have differences, when we don't understand other people, how is your attitude towards them? We cannot be prideful Christians. I mean, that's like the ultimate oxymoron, don't you think? I mean, Christians are supposed to be the Christ follower. Christ is the ultimate resemblance of humility. So we as Christians have to resemble His humility. How can we have pride? Because we were once found by grace alone. And Jesus found you. Are we okay with our pride? The big question is, is Jesus truly being glorified in your life, in the life of our church? Because that is the question that we must ask ourselves. Just like John, the other John said, because there's a lot of John. And John the Baptist is well, the John that I'm talking about. But it is found in John 3.30, which is written by John the Beloved. You follow me? Okay, so this is about John the Baptist, which John the Beloved wrote. Here in uh, chapter 3, verse 30, he says, He must become, he meaning Jesus, must be greater. I be must become less. See, that's it. And that starts with you. That starts with our heart. That's how we fight against pride. Are we okay with that statement? He is greater and I become less. So what brings on pride? What stirs up pride in you? Or maybe another question is, what hinders you from being humble? What is the enemy against your humility? Well, when you look at these texts today, if we find out that actually the supernatural national, natural experience can lead you to be prideful. See, we sometimes, like we followed, we mistaken by, we're doing something great. Oh, this is a great experience. Oh, this must be great. 
I must be great. And then somewhere along the line, we become God. We misunderstand this greatness to be part of us or coming from us. An author described that kind of progression to like a dog and a cat. Here's what I mean. I have a dog, right? And, and, and every time I come home, like, she's waiting for me. And she comes to me, jumps up and licks my face. And then we're, we're having this great time. And it's always just like by my side when I'm there. And when we first encountered Jesus, is it not how we were? Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. How could you find a wretch like me, a save a wretch like me? We're so happy. We're like whittling our tails like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to know you more and more and more. But somewhere along the line, we become like a cat. You know how a cat is? It's like, cat is like, well, you're home. That's cool. I'll let you pet. I'll let you, like, touch me. Okay, bye. You know? That See, I'm definitely a dog person, so I definitely have bias against cats. But, you know, but, but it's, it's, it, it, there's some truth to it, right? There's this, this excitement to see the master, but then somewhere along the line, we could become the master. And we have an expectation on God and how God should act. And how God should, how he should answer prayers. We have this ex- expectation. And the more supernatural experience and spiritual experience we have, we kind of have this. We, that could be used to make us prideful. So we have to be very careful about that. Also, we find out that in Matthew and in Mark, that these disciples did not depend solely on their faith and prayer. As they healed this boy. That's why they couldn't heal this boy. See in Matthew Jesus says they lacked faith. And then in Mark's account it says. That these healing has to only be done through prayer. And also through fasting. I mean those were not there among the disciples. That's why it is written that way. See sometimes when we become dependent on our own abilities. And when we don't devote our time to prayer. When we devote our time to just humbling ourselves. And having faith in Jesus alone then this could happen to us as well. We lose our sincerity because we are the ones who is doing it. And, and then pride kicks in. And I remember leading worship here in this church in the Japanese service. And then it became like I, I was asked to you know, lead worship in other places. And then and that, that sometimes, somewhere along the line, like, oh, I, I must be doing something great. And then I become this, this prideful man. I remember how I felt that way. This was like 20 years ago, but... Wow, that's a long time. But, but, you know, I remember that because I was like, oh, I must be doing something great. And then, but, but my spirituality and my walk with God wasn't really the same with where I was presenting myself on the stage or the pulpit. Because I was living a, basically a double life and I lacked sincerity because I wasn't depending on God alone or prayer. Because I was, kind of, I know how to do this. I know how to get people going. And then that became my pride. But in the meantime, I was living a life where I was still smoking cigarette. And I know, I didn't even know at that time that that double lifestyle was giving a negative impact to those who were around me. I didn't even notice that. But, but, but when we depend on our own abilities, when we're not depending on God enough, that can happen to us. And it could be self-serving. Because that leads to a sense of superiority. Who is the greatest? Because we're so concerned about our positions and, and like the disciples, they, their eyes, their focus was on being served eventually when Jesus takes over, then serving themselves. Somewhere along the line, they went into that. And when that took place, their idea, their focus was who's better, right? Who's the greatest among us? As Christians, as a church, we must be very careful. Every single day, we have to watch our hearts. The more gifted we are, more... In, in front of people we become we need to we need to be very careful because we sometimes could be in a church we're trying to protect our positions our our, our role in ministry i don't want to give this up because that gives me worth sometimes we could be very much self-serving in a way where we're not giving opportunities to others people and this is also a trend that we see here in this passage today and this all leads to false humility which I believe is the, the, the scariest form of pride. Because it's on the surface, we're acting good Christians. We're worshiping, we're raising our hands, we're serving. But in the inside, we're seeking for praise to ourselves. And, and that, could, that is very unhealthy. And because when we don't see the pride that we think we should get, we become somewhat 
angry. We feel like, oh, I'm supposed to get this recognition. And the motive becomes crooked. Even though we were once found by grace alone, somewhere we feel like we deserve this. And we lose our humility somewhere along the line. I don't know where you are today, but wherever that is, there's something we could give up to Jesus at the foot of his cross where he died for you. He says, this is what is hindering me to have full humility. So would you take this away? Are you ready to give this up to Jesus today? He already knows your heart anyways. He already knows your motivation anyways. We might as well be honest about this, truthful about this, to say, Jesus, this is my struggle. I need to give this up to you. I want to share a story about a missionary. His name is Hudson Taylor. You probably know his name. He was the founder of China Inland Mission in the 1800s. And now that organization became to be OMF International. It is still impacting many areas of the world and is, is sending out many missionaries to the world. In his you know, late days before he died, there's two women in Shanghai who was kind of, they were discussing about the topic of pride. And they wondered if, if Hudson Taylor ever struggled with pride. Because they, they were wondering, because he'd done so much, he'd accomplished so much, that they're like, okay, I wonder if he ever was tempted to be prideful. So they decided to ask his wife, Maria. They said, Maria, hey, do you know? And that's a good, good choice, right? Because <laughs> Maria would have known, right? So, but then Maria says, oh, I don't know. I should ask my husband. So Maria went to him. Because, you know, she promised those two ladies that I'm going to ask my husband. So they, she did. And she, she asked Taylor or Mr. Taylor Hudson. He says, have you ever been prideful? Have you, were you ever tempted to be proud? And Hudson's like, what? What do you mean proud? <laughs> well, you accomplished a lot of things. I mean, it's not like everybody could, anybody could do what you did. So Hudson said, and this is so powerful, he said, well, I never knew I had done anything. That was his response. See, true greatness is humbleness. Jesus taught us that with his life. He became to be the lowest possible place at the cross. I mean, the cross was for the worst of criminals, and that's where our Savior died. And he put himself the lowest of low, and from there he rose again. From there, there was a resurrection. Only from there, there is a resurrection because he came down to scoop us up. The worst of sinners, he became lower than that. And that's how he raises us up. See, after the resurrection, John, Peter, and other disciples began to truly understand this, truly grasp what greatness is all about, and they changed. See, at that point earlier, they had reasons not to understand because it was hidden from them, right? But nothing is hidden from us today. We have the word of God that says he resurrected, he rose again for your sake. So we have no excuse not to understand the true greatness that Jesus showed through his life with his humility. We know that he died for you and he resurrected and he served us. So now we may serve with humility that he has taught us. Not seeking for our praise to ourselves from others. We're not living for the glory of our own, but for living for the glory of God. Not being uh, possessed by our, our recognition, but we get to live for others because we already have our blessing. We already have an eternal life promise for you. You understand that, right? So now we get to live for other people and their blessing, their success, their growth, and that becomes our joy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Can we be, I, I believe we could be a church like that, that we all grasp true greatness is all about. We may not get recognized. We may not be praised here on earth, but that won't matter to us because we know that God will acknowledge us and we will be rewarded in heaven. Don't you think the reward in heaven is much, much better than the reward we have here on earth? I mean, do you agree with that? Are we more excited about that? Humanity thrives with humility. Let me say that again. Humanity thrives with humility. Your family will thrive with your humility. Our future, the next generation, depends on how humble you are before Christ. Isn't that, if that cannot, if, if that is our goal, if that is how we could walk, what if we could do that? What if we could live with humility? 
just like Jesus showed. And more than anything, that life of humility is where Christ is much evident in our lives. Isn't that something that we could look forward to together? I believe so. Here's our weekly challenge. If you could stop, get out your phones, maybe take a picture, and take this with you, because this is to give you mobilization. Take this with you, and wherever you are through this, pause and think about these questions, about what true greatness is all about. The first question is, read chapter 9, verse 37 to 50 once again, and what is Jesus teaching you about greatness? Through his words, what is he teaching you? And then the grow also accompany the Luke reading with Matthew and Mark. And ask yourself, why did the disciples argue about who is the greatest? What was their concern? And what hinders you from having humility yourself? And when do you find yourself in that prideful situation? And then overflow. Serve someone this week. Not for your glory, but for the glory of God. And that alone. Just like Jesus did for you. Find joy in that person's success, growth, and blessing. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for today. As we get to look into your word, as we get to learn from Jesus himself and how he lived and what he has taught his disciples, those words of greatness, teaching us about greatness, is for us to grasp today. Thank you for showing us what it means to be living with humility, ultimate humility, ultimate sacrifice that you have given us. But as we know that you were not dead in the tomb, but you resurrected from the death to give us life again, we know that. So give us the understanding of what true greatness, what does it mean to live with humility? We know that our families, our lives, that the next generation need our humility, just like you showed us. Thank you for the ult- being the example in my life, in our lives. Help us to walk in your footsteps, oh Jesus. Give us the courage to bring out the pride before you, for you to crush that. May we thrive with the, your humility that you have taught us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Let us continue to worship. Why don't we stand for this last song?
outrageous love for us that came down and even went lower to the death on the cross. So with that, you have scooped us up to rise with you once again. So help us to live that life of resurrection, believing in your power that is alive within us and being humble like never before to serve others for your glory's sake. So may the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all forever and ever as we continue to live with the humility that Jesus taught us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. And I have not received a text message, so my <laughs> wife is good, but we, I'll be leaving afterwards. But I'll see you next week, hopefully with the news that we have a newborn baby. So God bless you all. Thank you so much.
guys can come you guys can come up where you can see smaller group today but um, so this is the second part of Luke um, we watched the first part last week so you can find it on you can find it on YouTube uh, just search Bible project Luke um, so I think the second part you'll see the second second part this is right after kind of what we talked about today or actually what we'll talk about tomorrow I mean next week we'll finish and then it'll go to the next part so I'll play can you see you Muted. The Gospel According to Luke. In the first video, we explored Luke's portrayal of John the Baptist and Jesus as the fulfillment of the story of Israel and of God's promises told in the Old Testament scriptures. We then watched Jesus launch his mission and bring the good news of God's kingdom to the poor among Israel, people of low social status and also people who are outsiders. And Jesus taught that his kingdom is upside down. It's a reversal of all of our common social values. This section culminated with Luke showing